I mean, it's hard no matter what, no matter who you are. But, you know, I would go in and sometimes I'd have these conversations with casting directors that were like, oh, I did this movie with your mom in 19, da, da, da. I did this movie with your dad. And, you know, they were just like expecting something. But I think half of it is also you need to really want it. And there are kids that have grown up in nepotism that are good actors, whether you want to admit it or not. You know, they worked at it, you know, and I didn't. I was like, fuck this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of High Low with Emrata. This week's guest is someone I met or knew of at the beginning of my career in LA, which was a very specific time in the fashion world and just kind of culturally 2012, 2013, you're coming out of those like early aughts and we just really hadn't caught up culturally and everything else. And um, I think Ireland and I like posed nude for the same magazine and we knew some of the same maybe not the best people, some of the photographers and stuff that we knew out in LA. She is now pregnant and living in Portland. And she's on the show today talking about being a Nepo baby, her journey with perception and the media and kind of finding a balance between people's expectations of her, her privilege and what she actually wants to do and what she's interested in. And a lot about her body as well and her relationship with it. So without further ado, Ireland Baldwin. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Welcome, Ireland, to the podcast. You are a model, a philanthropist, soon-to-be mother, congrats, an entrepreneur, and yes, a Nepo baby. And we're going to talk about all of it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So we're chatting on Zoom right now, and you're in Portland. I'm in New York, and you are pregnant. How far along are you? How are you feeling? Oh, I am 30. I'm about to be 35 weeks, so I'm getting there. 35 weeks is when I started to be like, okay, this is, I'm going to need to wrap this up pretty soon. So <laughs> me too. I asked someone mentioned it's like being a turtle, what, you know, with your like flipped over on your shell and you can't get up. That's how I feel every day. Like I can't oh, get up, man. I actually think that's so good. Like when you wake <laughs> up in the morning, you're just like, what is this heavy thing I'm carrying around all the time? Yeah, exactly. But the second trimester definitely played tricks on me. I thought it would be a lot easier now, but it's not. <laughs> Are you at the point where you can't breathe? Yeah. When I talk, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just give up on conversation altogether talking to someone. I'm like, I, I can't. I just, I, I can't breathe. I got to go. I heard you had a strip club themed baby shower. Yeah, I did that. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I would say I'm definitely not a very traditional person. So the idea of a baby shower for me was kind of out of the question. I hate attention. I hate sitting in a circle and opening presents and talking to a bunch of people. And, you know, it just didn't seem ideal. So I thought, why not a strip club where everyone would be rather distracted? How did it go? Did it work? It worked. <laughs> it was great. I mean, we had, you know, an open bar and I know people are particular about people drinking around them when they're pregnant, but I was like hoping everyone would be wasted and have a great time and, 
you know, this place is pretty legendary in LA. So it was amazing. Where'd you guys go? Jumbo's Clown Room. Classic. Yeah. So they made it happen. My cousin and my, one of my dear friends threw this for me. And I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm about. So it was, it was I really love fun. It. Did your, what did your family and your guests think? I'm like trying to picture your like aunt or something at the baby shower. Oh my God. My mom's pretty open, but I would say she was totally mortified. <laughs> like she was just, she watched me and my boyfriend get like lap dances from eight strippers on the stage. And I think she was just like, what is happening right now? Beyond that, thankfully, thankfully his parents weren't there. And thankfully most of my Christian family did not attend, nor were they invited. <laughs> did your mom get a lap dance? My mom wouldn't even, she didn't even know what to do with the money. Like she, first of all, she threw a crumbled dollar bill, like as fast as and as hard as she could. She like just yanked it because she was so scared. You're like, not like that, mom. Yeah, no. And she just hid in a corner. And I think she just ordered like Pinot Grigio at the bar, which. Such a mom move. The white wine. Yeah with ice so yeah. by the way i just started drinking some white wine like recently i'm like i can't do red anymore i'm like oh no it's happening <laughs> i'm gonna be an older white woman <laughs> who like drinks white wine i can't do red wine either it makes me have like heart palpitations and it makes me feel awful but my mom drinks her she drinks like an entire cup of ice with her white wine she pours it into a cup of ice and i'm just like i i don't know <laughs> You're like, does that even count as drinking? No. Well, there you go. Then you can drink the whole bottle and it's water, you know? So I've heard that your pregnancy has been kind of hard for you. And I feel like it's really nice when people talk about their experience with pregnancy. What has it been like for you? It's been pretty isolating because it's been quite a transition living out here, not really having many friends as I'm used to having more of a support system in Los Angeles and even New York. Um, most of my friends are between there. So it, it's kind of isolating when your friends aren't going through the same thing as you, regardless of where you are. And I'm sure you understand a lot of people yeah. aren't a mom. I'm not even really a mom yet, but you know, a lot of people just don't understand the changes you have to make in your life and the boundaries you have to set and who you have to cut off, you know? To protect yourself. Totally. I mean, pregnancy, I found pregnancy to be kind of lonely experience, honestly. Yeah. It's just because you're every day you are the only one who knows what's going on with your body and you have to translate those things, understand if it's normal, not normal. Um, and it just, even if you tell your friends who have kids or whatever, it still just feels like you're on a journey completely by yourself. Totally. Yeah. And people just don't understand why you feel totally drained all the time for no reason <laughs> and why you can't do things or why you can't make it to something. And it's it's hard because you can't even really put your own finger on why you feel so tired and just so depleted every day. Oh, man, I was so tired. I took crazy naps when I was pregnant. Like it was like I went to another dimension of sleep <laughs> that I'd never like I died basically. Yeah. That's how I feel. I just die a little bit every day. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, okay, I do feel a little bit better. And then you die again. Yeah. And then the days you feel better, you push it and you do too much or you go do something and you're like, I'm a person in the world. And then you just crash and burn the next day. So <laughs> yeah, I was lucky 
I was pregnant during COVID. So I kind of like didn't have, there wasn't just that much to do. Right. Um, which was really nice. I think the next time I get pregnant, it's going to be really alarming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my cousin too, who's like my sister, she was pregnant and had her baby over COVID. And I mean, I could see how that brought on a lot of anxieties and that would have been rather stressful, you know, just being. In it was, but it was also so nice to just sit out. I didn't have to like f have FOMO or feel like oh, I have to push myself. Yeah. I was, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. So you're in Portland now. When did you decide to do that? And how's the transition? I moved here almost going on like three years ago. I moved here for a lot of reasons, but I, if I'm being really honest with myself, I, I moved here for my ex-boyfriend. Part that, part I just really couldn't be in LA anymore. It started to really take a toll on me. And especially over COVID, it's just become kind of a really, a really just dark place. And I think really having the time, speaking of COVID, having the time to be isolated and kind of sit with yourself and think about what you want to be and what you want to do and what really matters when all this death was sort of occurring all around us constantly, you know, and continues to. I think I just, I don't know. I want to change. I want it to be somewhere different. I wanted to meet new people. LA can be a wonderful place if you're seeking something in particular, but it's also a trap. <laughs> and, you know, it's filled with a lot of people who definitely don't have your best interest. So I just, I moved here to try something new. I broke, me and my boyfriend broke up like immediately when we moved here almost. And then I actually was going to move back to LA, but I met my now boyfriend at a coffee shop in Portland. And then I was like, I think I'll stay a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so. I gave up on LA and COVID too. Really? That was when I was like, I'm pulling the plug. Really? Yeah. It just, I mean, I'm sure we have some similar experiences. I'm not from LA, but I always kind of tried to avoid the Hollywood aspect of LA. My first place was in downtown in the arts district. And then I lived in Echo Park. And I don't know, in COVID, I was just like, ah, this isn't, this place doesn't fuel the kind of community I want to be a part of. Totally. And it was also just like the kind of loneliness of LA, especially in COVID was 10 times the amount. Um, but more than that, I was like, I, I the culture here and and truly Hollywood, even though I'm not, you know, really involved in that world that much, I was so done with it. Yeah, it really just weighs on you after a while, I think. And especially if you really just don't feel like you belong in a lot of ways and don't want to belong. Like that was the thing is I think it's one thing if you're pursuing something where you kind of need to be in the grind and you need to be in the thick of it and you have castings and meetings and, you know, but I just I kind of bowed out of that world a while ago before right before COVID and then COVID happened and then I was kind of like okay well you were literally born and raised in it right it was almost like um birthright that you would be a part of this world I'm sure before you even felt like you had the choice to make yeah I mean I I think I I wanted to be so many things before I wanted to be in this business because I just I think after seeing what fame has done to so many people that I have witnessed up close and from afar and also just like 
kind of being in the midst of, midst of it with my family's divorce, my parents' divorce, and just with everything, like it's just I'm a very private person and I value my privacy. And I think you kind of grow up and grow into somebody that feels like you owe people an answer or you owe people an explanation, you owe people a TikTok, you owe them a post, you owe them an, like when you really don't <laughs> at all, you don't right. get anything. <laughs> so I just, I think like, Yes, I was born into it. I wanted to be a doctor for a very long time. And I thought I was going to be a vet. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to do a lot of things before settled and decided to model because modeling was sort of something that just was so easy when I was young because of my mom, because getting my foot in that door. And once you're making money like that, you kind of ask yourself like, really? You think I'm going to go to school for seven years and do anything else? Like, hell no, (laughs) you know? So I loved it. I mean, I did. I had being that young at 16, 17, 18 and making money like that, you know, it feels it feels good to be able to move out and get your own place. And, you know, regardless of how you got there, you kind of feel pretty rooted. And, you know, I, I don't know, like I I definitely tried that and the fashion industry is a tough one. And I had great experiences. I had horrendous experiences. But modeling definitely was something that I kind of realized right before COVID that unless I could really kind of pick and choose and work with brands and work with people that I really admire and love and, you know, kind of use that platform for good, I just didn't really want to be involved in it anymore. It's just kind of like this cat and mouse game that you know, I just wasn't interested in. And acting, same thing. I kind of tried my hand here and there with certain projects and I can't act for shit. (laughs) (laughs) It is not in my blood. (laughs) Did you ever want to do that? Like, did you just assume you would be good at it or what was I went to film school for a year on and off. I was traveling and working so much modeling that I could never really like can never really commit to anything because as I'm sure you know way more than me you're just like waking up and on a plane and going here and doing this and like you know you just don't really have any way you'd stretch yourself too thin if you took on too much and I kind of was taking on too much I ended up dropping out of film school but while I was there I kind of just had so many people during that experience but also just throughout my life who just told me like this is what you're going to do. Like, this is what you're meant to do. Like, come on, you know? And I and I think people don't realize from the other side of it, growing up in the whole Nepo baby sphere of things, is ha- people that aren't nep- grown, grown up in nepotism don't realize how many people you have in your ear your whole life telling you that this is all you're meant to do, <laughs> like, ever, you know? Like, you're going to be a star, and you're going to do this, and your mom and your dad, and it's in your blood and whatever. And I think, like, after hearing that for so long, you kind of are like, I should try it, right, you know? And with acting in particular, I was just like, I hate this. (laughs) Like, not only do I hate this, I hate auditioning. I'm so nervous. Like, I, any great movie you've ever seen where a casting director comes up, you know, I've worked with that casting director before, and I'm sure I'm on their list of, like, what the fuck is this girl doing? <laughs> like, oh she- my God, I'm sure not. But I can imagine the immense pressure you had going into these rooms where people know your parents and your family and they're like, okay, let's see what this girl's got, right? 
Right. I mean, it's hard no matter what, no matter who you are. But, you know, I would go in and sometimes I'd have these conversations with casting directors that were like, oh, I did this movie with your mom in 19, da, da, da. I did this movie with your dad. And, you know, they were just like expecting something. But I think half of it is also you need to really want it. And there are kids that have grown up in nepotism that are good actors, whether you want to admit it or not. You know, they worked at it, you know, and I didn't. I was like, fuck this. You were sort of like doing that because what it was what people had told you you should do. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you want to you want to try it out. But it just for me, it was always what was going on behind the camera that interested me. And I've always been a storyteller my whole life. I've always been a writer. And I just, I never really thought that I would ever be able to do anything but the path that, you know, other kids in my shoes and how they grew up with the families they did were doing. I was just like, oh, that's the carved out path for me, you know, until I realized like, you know, how could I not fall in love with movies and movie making and movie magic if I grew up on sets my whole life and I was always wide-eyed and so interested and, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be a part of it in some way. And that's the year before, well, 2020, that's when I kind of went all in on screenwriting and I started my production company in 2021 and uh, I wanted to be a part of it somehow, but I didn't want to be in the front lines, if that makes sense, or face of anything. Yeah. Congratulations on the production company and screenwriting. I want to go back to the modeling a little bit just because I'm so curious about your experience. I mean, I think it's probably also because you're tall and you're beautiful and people were just like, of course, you're going to be in front of the camera. But how was that journey of kind of figuring out that it wasn't for you? And I know that you are six years free of anorexia and bulimia. What what has that journey been like and how did you I feel like it must be parallel to kind of discovering yourself as well? I mean, I had eating disorders before I started modeling. That wasn't, those didn't necessarily go hand in hand like it would for, I'm sure, a lot of people. I dealt with a lot of eating issues as different forms of coping mechanisms for a long time as a kid. Things that you wouldn't normally, not the typical anorexia and bulimia, you know, it's such a spectrum of different, you know, eating disorders and habits and things that you develop through trauma and I, I had I had issues that modeling, I think, sort of solidified, like brought out because for the first time in my life, people have always criticized me since I was a baby, you know, but I wasn't really aware of any of it. I wasn't like reading tabloids growing up and the Internet, you know, surfing the Internet and social media wasn't a thing and whatever. So with modeling, like one of the first jobs I ever did I signed to this big agency. I was, you know, kind of like, okay, feeling myself, like excited, kind of, you know, they they always gas you up and tell you all the things you're going to be and do and mm-hmm. whatever. So one of the first shoots I ever did, which looking back was just so hysterical and ridiculous, but I did this like shoot on a boat <laughs> for uh, New York Post, like an announcement that I was modeling kind of thing. And it was so embarrassing. It was so horrendous. I looked like just the cheapest gold digger, like bikini chains. How old were you? I I was like 16. Like, oh my God. And I was in like chains and leopard print bikinis and like, oh my God. 
and the most makeup you've ever seen. And it was just, it was so bad. It was such a bad shoot. And as you know, when you're really feeling yourself and you feel pretty, the pictures always come out good, you know? But when you're not, even if they are amazing, to you, you're like, I've done better. I've felt better, you know? And this was like, I just looked at these pictures and I was like, oh my God, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I was so nervous. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was just so many circumstances. But the comments that I got from people from this like first shoot were, you know, a lot of older folks probably just completely tearing down my body and my looks. And I had never experienced that before. So I think once I started seeing tabloids and you know sites like pick up my shoots and stuff and sort of like tear them apart and tear my body apart at like 16 I was kind of like okay you know I have to I have to take control of this like I have to do something I have to eat less I have to fix this I have to do you know so I just think it's it's a really cruel it can be a really cruel and corrupt business for so many reasons you know but then adding on the or adding on the layer of being in the media just makes it well and being so young yeah being 16 and not having the you know maturity and the perspective that it takes to really be able to handle that and i mean even full adults don't do a great job but at least you can be like i know who i am i understand that this is a reflection of these people who are saying this and not of me i mean People are traumatized for life just by being bullied at, in school when the entire world is essentially bullying you. You can imagine totally. how traumatizing that was. Yeah, it's it's bullying. That's all it is. And you internalized it naturally. Yeah, and I just think that sort of set a precedent for the rest of my modeling career for me because I was so... Modeling had a lot of positive aspects, but the big negative that sort of hung over all of it for me was like, I really cared what other people thought of me. Mm. And, you know, the whole like nepotism angle of it too. It's like, you know, a lot of folks, and I'm just, I'm just honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just what you're going to get. But a lot of people who are not a lot maybe, but there are some people who have gotten opportunities over other people because of who they are that would have never had that opportunity in five trillion years if they weren't who they're, you know, came from the family they do. And that's just the truth. And that's not saying they're not beautiful and they're not talented. It's just reality, you know? And I think you get like this really jaded perception when you're going up against girls and I'm in a casting when I know that the girl to my right and left are well over far more hardworking, qualified, gorgeous gotten the right you know it's a it's a business it's a job they got in the shape they did their hair they did this they did that they look the part you know but I still would get the job and I think those tidbits would kind of like create this illusion in your head you know like like I should keep doing this but then you're also getting ridiculed still and criticized and you know it's just like this very unbalanced experience well, i'm sure it added to your imposter syndrome and all those negative comments you're like i'm just here because you know of, of this connection to to my family and to this business through my family and when you're 17 you're already feeling like i mean somebody my parents aren't in the industry and i felt at all those castings and whatever, like I didn't belong, right? right? And I was 
working my ass off and whatever, but I can only imagine what it was like to have somebody who was like, no, you actually, um, you only are getting this part, not because you're qualified, but because of who your family is. And sometimes you are. And a lot of the time you are. And that's the way it is, you know, but it's like either you're going to take that and kill it, I guess, and do some good with it or do what you're going to do or you're not, you know, but I definitely let it like it was just voices in my head constantly. And I just wanted I wanted out of all of that. All right, we will be right back with Ireland Baldwin. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So when did you kind of name that you had, recognize your eating disorder and start to treat it? I had, I had this pretty bad relationship that I was coming out of and I had never really faced a lot of trauma and a lot of things in my life that I had experienced, but I had never really processed at all or talked about or they just manifested themselves in all of these kind of really strange ways and I just kept myself so busy you know so that I wouldn't have to face any of it and I never was alone I kind of I've never had any addictions in my life but I was addicted to being in a relationship because then I could put all this focus on another person and I didn't have to ever face my shit and I could just fix them So once I was like forced to be alone and I was forced to get help for a lot of these problems, um, that's kind of when a lot of the eating disorder stuff surfaced. And I was like, oh, wow, I never really thought of that or I never I never knew that was an eating disorder. I never knew that was a problem or I always thought that that was normal or. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of came to a head when I was like. 2021 and I still it's not something you know you just get help you recover and then you're like good as gold you know I still deal with things I mean even with pregnancy it's been really hard gaining weight like a normal person (laughs) yeah I was gonna ask you what is your relationship to your body right now I think I have days where I'm I'm more proud of it than anything you know which is good I, I have been positive about it but I think I think there's days where I definitely I would be lying if I said it didn't, you know, totally get to me that I'm as big as I am, you know, and I have like I am one of the most body dysmorphic people that like a lot of people have ever talked to in their lives. They're just like, Mm -hmm. what? You know, I see something so different than what other people see most of the time. And I think like a lot of people you know, find pregnant women and their bodies to be magical and beautiful. And, you know, I think it's helped that people have been so complimentary and kind and kind of reminding me that I'm doing like this incredible thing, you know? Yeah. But, you know, part of me, though, still looks at myself and I'm like, oh, my God. And, And even like I'll see people at events and doing things and getting dressed up. And I had great nights getting dressed up and going to events and doing things that I don't that I haven't done as much of, obviously, since I've been pregnant at all. So sometimes I'll look at things and I'll be like, oh, man, I just want to be running around in my bikini doing this. You know, I want to be at this event or, you know. But I think for the most part, it's been positive. So you're kind of in Portland. You're pregnant. Are you writing right now? 
Yeah, I think a lot of things were put on the back burner the last year. Well, because I got pregnant, we moved into a house. We bought this house together and then, which was quite a project. And then we started this business together within like three or four months of knowing each other. We were like, do you want to go into business together? So we opened up a restaurant and a wine bar and a shop together. And that kind of just took over anything else kind of happening creatively, mainly in my life, but also in his, uh, cause he's a musician and he still managed to work and do things. But between me, which I would never recommend starting a business while you're pregnant ever in five million <laughs> trillion. I mean, that's a big project to take on, yeah. Yeah, I would never recommend starting a business and I would never recommend unless, you know, this is your thing and you love it and you love the way you look and I'm happy for you and I wish I had that, but shaving your head before you're pregnant <laughs> and um, starting a business because, yeah, shaving my head, I wish I had long hair looking back and, and like that would be the one thing I think that would make me feel a little bit more like womanly and maternal and just like in my photos that I, I wanted to do pregnancy photos and I'll like start hysterically crying and Andre's just like what is it and I'm like I look like Ronald McDonald you know oh my god you definitely don't but um <laughs> it's funny because I dyed my hair blonde I'd never colored my hair before right like right before I got I did I actually think I went blonde I like I was pregnant but I didn't know it and then when I found out I was blonde and so even though I wasn't really showing it felt like I was and my boobs were big and like I was already starting to feel like I didn't recognize myself and being blonde on top of it made me feel insane (laughs) I would like walk by mirrors and be like who is that person? This pregnant blonde woman is in my house and has like kidnapped the normal me. Um, so I definitely feel you on that. It's it. I had to color my hair back and I like had to do it because I just didn't reckon myself and pregnancy is so transforming and you already feel disconnected from your former self. So if there's like hair is such a sensitive thing for women, I agree with you. Don't do that. No, don't. Seriously, like you will regret it. I don't regret shaving my head. I had to because my hair was literally going to fall out from all the damage I've done to it. So it was kind of like hitting the restart button. But then I found out I was pregnant and I was like, okay, whatever. And it, it just really is like your hair is so sometimes the thing that makes you feel really beautiful. <laughs> like, And I was just like, oh, my God. Okay, whatever. There's so much attached to hair. I mean, obviously, we talk about men and balding a lot. But for women, I mean, I think there's crazy statistics about female hair loss and how common it is. And it's like it's a huge indicator of femininity in our culture and, you know, for better and worse. And um, I think a lot of women deal with that silently. And it's brutal. Yeah, and especially, I mean, I couldn't imagine it being out of my control, you know, if I had alopecia or if I had, like, of course, you adapt. And I think everyone's beautiful hair or no hair. But definitely for me personally, I just, like, was like, man, if I could just throw my hair in braids right now for these photos and just look like an earth goddess, (laughs) that would be great. But I can't, so. After this break, we'll be back with Ireland. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. 
we're such one-sided world now you know you're either this or you're that and i just don't agree with that you know i find myself mm-hmm. in the middle quite often so how do you deal with it when you when you do say something and you make the decision to like comment on whatever i mean i'm sure not only friends but like family stuff and then there's you know a hundred articles about you how do you do you, does that impact you i mean i know this is gonna sound like super weird space cadet thing to say but I just I really none of this is real (laughs) like none of this is real and none of us are going to live this this will not even live past us like this is so ridiculous you know this this social media it's so and when people say social media is fake it really is (laughs) like it's not a real thing and I think like I used to when I cared what people thought about me when I had a lot more reasons to care about what people in my life, family, not family, the media, just people, people. Like I cared so much about what I said and I was very reserved and protective of people that I didn't ever need to be protective of, you know? So I think, especially with family stuff, I stay the fuck out of it (laughs) because it's not my fight. You know, I think like if someone does something wrong, family or not, you know, they need to go, they need to go on that journey on their own and they need to process that. They need to get help or not or face it themselves, you know, and I used to get really defensive about people in my family and I used to feel like that kind of like fire where I'm like, I have to say something. And now I'm just kind of like, I don't really owe any of these people anything. (laughs) Like, that's just the truth, you know? Well, it's not your responsibility and your, you know, neck doesn't need to be on the line anytime that something, somebody in your family is in the news, right? Right. And a lot of the time people are in the news for the wrong reasons. And, you know, they criticize all the wrong people. When you're sitting here watching all these people make countless TikToks and videos dissecting some situation in your family whether it's you know whether it's my cousin whether it's my dad whether it's my step whoever it is when you sit there and you know the whole story or you know like you know the truth and you Mm -hmm. just have to watch all of these experts like talk about it and you're just kind of like this isn't my fight you know like I would be exhausted if I fought these people every single day you know what I mean so it's like so you've managed to kind of let it go and just be like this is out of my control and it is what it is yeah I mean people there's crazy rumors about me out there and I'm like who am I you know and people say I have like a different dad every month on reddit and like people say (laughs) and it's just like you kind of have to laugh and just realize that this is just not gonna last and it's just not real you know? Yeah, that's happened to me recently. I'm just, I'll see a video about something in my life. And I'm like, wow, this is so crazy because these people really think that they know what's going on. And you like, you understand why they do based on the information. It's definitely a little, you know, something that they would take the time to make a TikTok and that they would believe it so much. Um, but you just have to kind of realize like that's just going to be their reality and there's nothing you can do. And it is kind of a bizarre feeling weirdly kind of calming to be like this is so off base and out of pocket and just ridiculous that it you just have to be okay with it in some ways yeah and it's not going to kill you you know what is it going to do what is a bunch of people believing you're you know whatever about whatever like 
so many people had so many conspiracy theories about so many different things about my parents' divorce. And I know, you know, like in your relationship situations and, and anybody, everybody just thinks they know everything. And it's so funny how little they really know about anything. And it's just, you kind I of know, have to know, and it's there. like, you don't have to tell them, which is no. the thing that I've learned. Hell no, you don't. But it's frustrating because you're like, oh, maybe if I just told everyone, then it would be clear and it would all be, I would just, the truth would be out there and it'd be whatever. But you know that you say one thing and then that thing's taken out of context and turned into 12 other million things. And what do you think has been harder for you dealing with the kind of like personal stuff that you have or kind of having to navigate the media, the magnifying glass around your life? It's really the simple. Like I I had such a great therapist for a while who she got me through one of the most traumatic and difficult times of my life. And without fully getting into it, like I just went through a lot of things that I can honestly sit here and say I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have survived. And that has nothing to do with my family and my parents and this and that and whatever, none of that. But I went through some stuff that like I was not the same after. And when I got out of that, I think like this person that I worked with made me realize how small everything else is in this life in comparison to what I went through, in comparison to what other people go through every single day. Like that, I know that this is gonna sound so cheesy, but it's so true. I remember last week, I had all this anxiety about um, some pregnancy stuff, like some symptoms and whatever. And I just, you know, every day, because I deal with health anxiety and things will come up and I'm like, oh my God, is this normal? And you know, whatever. So I remember hearing this story from a friend of mine who she's, uh, she works in an OB's office and she told me about this woman who, it's on this show on Netflix it's these doctors in an emergency rooms in New York. It's kind of like following the doctors and medics and whatever. And this one woman like walked from Honduras on foot to America to deliver her baby here, like while she was 20 something wow. weeks pregnant. And, you know, she was having some symptoms and some issues. They ended up checking her and her baby was totally fine. But then I think about things like that and I'm just like, how how fucking small are our problems? <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I can't even like sit here and begin to imagine like what other people go through and they don't have help. They don't have access to healthcare. They don't have access to, they don't have friends. They don't have family. Like I just sometimes like that this perspective, I've been stuck in this perspective for so long that everything with social media and the internet, I could get like canceled on Twitter for something right now that is this small, that's not a big deal, that meant nothing, whatever. And it just wouldn't mean nothing to me. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it genuinely would mean nothing to me because it's just this big in comparison to like what people face every single day. So I think like I went through this big shift when I was like 25, 26, where I stopped caring what people say about me. Of course, sometimes I'll get upset, especially about my business when people, you know, we've had like, we, we do natural wine and some folks have come in that, you know, don't really understand natural wine and they just want 
there's Chardonnay and Merlot and they've written like Yelp reviews about, you know, we'll get like one negative Yelp review because we don't have Chardonnay or something. And I feel like my blood boil because I'm like, you don't understand, whatever. But that's like about my business, Mm -hmm. about my pregnancy. I've been kind of defensive and people I love. But when it comes to just shit on the internet, like it's just so small that it just doesn't even matter, you know? You know when you've crossed a line and you're a bad person, you know, and you've said something that really you need help and you need to go and reflect on and you've done something and, you know, you have allegations against you that are real. You know the difference, but everything else is just so dumb. (laughs) I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful perspective to have right before you become a mom. I think it's going to continue. That definitely was my experience. Um, And then once you have a baby and then a toddler and child, it puts so much into perspective in such a beautiful way. Yeah, it does. All right, everyone, that was our first virtual interview. Definitely weird, definitely different than normal, but I felt I liked everything Ireland had to say. You know, we've had a few Nepo-ish babies on the pod before, but this is the first person who really wanted to talk about it. And um, I think it's really interesting to hear from her. I feel like she's so careful about, you know, not wanting people to feel sorry for her, but also like, damn, some of the stuff she went through as a as a child and teenager because of who her parents were is, is hard. I'm curious what all of your thoughts are about that. Go to hilo.fm to submit your voice notes. We use those for the subscription episode that comes out every Thursday. Talk back. Tune into that. Subscribe. I really love that episode. It's how I feel connected to you guys, and I feel like how we build a community. So head over there. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday with my solo episode, Emrata Asks. Hilo with Imrata is a Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Ratajkowski, Matt Raz, and Sarita Wesley. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.